Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the 14th episode of the NHL podcast presented by the Hockey News. My name is Safir, and today I am pleased to be joined by my co-host, Rahil. See, Rahil, I want to ask how you're doing, but at the same time, I, I kind of know how you're doing and the reasons why you might be feeling that way. So I don't really want to ask, but at the same time, I, I kind of have to give you the floor. You think, did the smile give it away? Is that what it was? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we it's been an eventful week to two weeks of hockey, um, obviously. Leafs losing last night to the Panthers, uh, three to two in overtime, losing their series four to one. I mean, listen, like I'll, I'll be honest, Safir, I think you guys should hold your head up high. Like you guys got over that hump. I can't make that first round joke anymore. That being said, I can now make that second round joke. So I'm I'm fine, Safir. I don't know about you. I want to know how you're doing. How are you coping? Dude, uh, I'm not I'm not doing well. Like deep down, like I'm smiling, but deep down I I am so hurt right now. I'm scarred, and you know what? Your tweets were not helping yesterday either. <laughs> they were outright pissing me off. But you know what? I I, I contain my emotions. I feel like I have good emotion yeah. regulation skills. So, but yeah, no, you know the, the Leafs series was so disappointing because like. Yeah, the Boston Bruins are eliminated from the playoffs. New Jersey, so many good teams are eliminated. You know, mm -hmm. I thought that this was the year that the Leafs could actually make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, um, and yeah, they, they they just lost it. And for me, I would I would say it's Bobrovsky that stole the series. Yeah, I, I do think he he gave me very Carey Price twenty twenty one vibes in that playoff run. Not even just against the Leafs, but you know when we were playing against Vegas. Why is it always against Toronto? You tell me, man. You're the least fan. <laughs> You've been through it more than I have. But um, no, Bobrovsky stood on his head. I think a little bit more to add to that, though, is like, I, I understand the refs were a big issue, and I will, I will put my ha-ha, I'm happy bias aside. There were some controversial calls. I think some of the calls Lee fans were a little bit crazy with. There were some calls, like there was that icing in overtime. I literally looked to my girlfriend, and I was like, Bobrovsky literally tried to play the puck, and they're yeah, calling it icing. If this right. goes in, it's going to be chaos. The one thing I will say, though, I think not a lot of Leaf fans are talking about this. So in, I actually looked it up. This is how invested into hating the Leafs I am, apparently. <laughs> um, being in Toronto, you have to. Uh, in the Tampa series, the Leafs were shooting at about 12%. Mm -hmm. In the Florida series, they were scoring. They were shooting at under 6%. Wow, that's so, a huge difference. And the, the shot difference was there were very close shot difference. I think it was 170-something in the Florida series to 190-something in the Tampa series. Mm -hmm. So, And I know power plays play a factor into that, but Safir, what do you think about just like the fact that like there weren't that many goals scored on Toronto's end? Um, well, you know what? Um, on Toronto's end, 
I would say, well, our goaltending has been okay, to be honest, throughout mm-hmm. the playoffs, right? I mean, Samsonov kind of, I would say Samsonov was also a difference maker against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, but in this series, there's a lot of low-scoring games, and it's hard to fault Samsonov, right? Yeah. Uh, but if the Leafs are not converting on their, on their chances, so it's, it's usually not somebody like Samsonov or, or the goaltending situation that you can mm-hmm. blame. Um, although Joseph Wall, I thought he played magnificent himself Absolutely. too, right? But like when you're going up against a guy who like Brobowski, who saved an average of like 2.45 goals per game, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's the kind of goalie that's going to ride you the entire way. Yeah, and I, I think that's a perfect segue into, and I'm going to ask you this first because like it's amazing how, you know, 10 to 15 days ago, it was pure elation for Leafs fans and yeah. Leafs Nation. And now it's this huge dull, everyone's hurt, everyone's upset, everyone like wants, like Key fired, everyone wants, mm. you know, Dub is fired. Where, where do the Leafs go from here? What do you think as a Leafs fan they should do? And then I'll tell you without the bias. You know what, I have to say when I'm looking at Twitter and, and Leafs fans are so passionate, right? They care so much, but it's giving panic mode energy on Twitter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> They're like, tear it all down, get rid of Keith, get rid of Dubas, split up the core four. This this was a failed experiment. Mm-hmm. But the way I think about it is, is that the Leafs are one of the best teams in the regular season. Mm-hmm. On paper, they are so talented. My concern is that if you split up the core four, and I know we've tried this a few times already. I, I just, I worry that we regress a little bit. Yeah. Um, what I would do, honestly, like perhaps looking at the, at the coaching situation, you know, um, and I wish Morgan Riley had to see on his jersey because the passion that he showed in the playoffs was really remarkable. Um, and if you were going to split up the, the core four, I think it has to be a very careful approach and one in which considers improving our defense because mm-hmm. our offense has been one of the best for sure. Um, I personally would not split up the, the core four though, but if they did, they they have to be very careful. Yeah, so I, I, it's interesting because there's there's a saying out there that doing the same thing over and over again is insanity, the definition of yeah. insanity. And that, that kind of was what the Leafs were doing. And it, it's tricky because you, you look at that and based off that point, you're like, yeah, we should get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But you have arguably two of the top 10 players in the NHL, Nylander's probably top 25, top 20. Oh, yeah. Tavares is older, he's, you know, he's not worth how much he's getting paid, but he's still a point per game player. Like you have a good core. And I, I think what it is is, and I feel bad saying this, but I always look back at that John Tavares signing. Yes. And you see how much he's getting paid. And if you were just able to take 60 to 75% of that um, salary and put it on the back end, even take the whole thing. Let's say the Leafs had Matthews and then Kerfoot. That's not a great center depth. What yeah. if they had Petrangelo on their blue line? That would make like, a huge difference. That would make lie. a huge difference. That would For be sure. incredible. And I think the other thing that I kind of want to just end off on is obviously you don't want to move the core four. I don't know if you're going to have a choice right. because if you're Austin Matthews, I know he loves the city. And, you know, as a Habs fan, I would love to see him go to another team so I could kind of cheer for him. But like, <laughs> you do have to wonder like how long he's going to put up with this. Yeah. If he is a free agent or if, well, yeah, he would be free. I think he would be hitting free agency. You're gonna have a lot of teams, obviously everyone talks about Arizona. That's, I mean, if you take some money, sure, they're gonna offer a lot of money. But like, what about a team like the Rangers? What about a team like the Blue Jackets, the Blackhawks? And I know they're terrible right now and they're not good, but like Bedard, Austin Matthews as a one-two punch. Like, I don't know what the trade would look like if it was a trade, I don't know if it'd be free agency, but Matthews might just be like, I wanna win now, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, and, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Matthews has one more year to his deal. And um, and yeah, so he's definitely going to look for a payday. Now, uh, I've seen some tweets about people saying 
you know, perhaps offer Matthews a bridge year kind of, or a bridge gap kind of uh, mm. DSO for like four years or whatever. I think that makes sense to me, kind of like instead of going like the full like seven, eight years, just give them like yeah. four years and see how, how that kind of goes. It gives some more time for some of these core players to find mm. some success. Uh, the, t the Tavares one is actually a great point because I think his, his cap hit is around 11 million. 11. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, for a yep. player who, honestly, a lot of us expected a little bit better on mm -hmm. the ice. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting offseason with the Leafs. I think the way that the Matthews uh, contract negotiations go will determine the faith of the Maple Leafs uh, for next year and a few years beyond. I would love to see Matthews in another jersey. No offense. No. <laughs> uh, but moving on, obviously now the Florida Panthers are going to be playing the Carolina Hurricanes. And interesting matchup i don't think it's one a lot of people expected i mean carolina obviously was good in the regular season but florida coming out of nowhere like you know beating two really good eastern conference teams listen we'll touch on it really quick safir but what yeah. do you think about that series and that matchup you know what the way that the panthers are playing right now it's kind of what the, everybody expected them to be last year mm -hmm. um but I'm, I'm fully going with the carolina hurricanes for one reason and one reason only freddie anderson's on the team yeah um, and if you didn't know, I'm a big Freddie Anderson fan. <laughs> I am Freddie Anderson too, actually, um, <laughs> the junior version. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely going to be supporting the Canes. It'll be a close series. Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting. I think the surprising thing out of Carolina was, you know, they obviously don't have, I believe it's Svechnikov and Pacioretty that yeah. are out, and they're still playing this well. I'm going to be honest with you guys. This Florida team is giving, and again, I, I'm taking the Habs bias out of it. Does this not look like that Montreal Canadiens run? They yep. shocked the ones, they shocked their first round series. The second round, they just obliterate. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to give you flashbacks. <laughs> the second round, they obliterate their opponent. I know it wasn't a sweet uh, sweep each way, but, yep. and like now they're going up against a team where people are like, they have no chance. Like now, now the Cinderella run's gonna end and it's time to get off the train. I'm going Florida. I, I think Bobrovsky is gonna stand on his head. I could see Kachuk just absolutely having fun with that Carolina core. Um, I'm going Florida. You know, I don't blame you. Like, I'm, I'm looking at the deserve to win meter after every game, and apparently the Leafs deserve to win four of the five games. And uh, so, but Florida just finds a way. So, yeah, I it wouldn't be surprising. I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And obviously, we have the West is still to be decided. We have uh, Seattle and Dallas still going on, which is fantastic series, by the way. I'm absolutely loving Joe Pavelski like scoring all these goals, turning back the time <laughs> clock. It's absolutely awesome. And then obviously the Oilers and Golden yeah. Knights. Knights are up three two there. That was a that was a bit of an interesting one. It's been a big goal fest in that series. Yeah, and it's so hard to predict who's going to win because every game appears to be like a high scoring game, and I think most of the games have been blowouts too. So mm -hmm. it's really hard to predict. Um, you know what? I kind of want to see the Stanley Cup back in back in Canada. So yeah. um, if it's not the Canes, I hope it's the Oilers. Yeah, I'm a little biased towards that Oilers bias too. I want to see Connor McDavid lift the cup. Um, yeah. It'd also be kind of funny to see Jack Campbell and Zach Hyman lift it too. Oh, that, that would be um, nice for sure. But per, I don't know. I, I have a feeling we haven't seen Jake Ottinger turn it on for Dallas mm -hmm. yet. If he turns it on, I think Dallas could run away with yeah, this. Yeah, because I thought Jake Ottinger would be the goalie that kind of stands on his head for a team. Mm -hmm. It's been Bobrovsky so far, but Ottinger might be the next one up. We'll exactly. Yeah. Now listen, it's been enough playoffs talk. Let's talk about something I can actually talk about now. <laughs> Let's talk about the NHL draft. What were your just initial thoughts on just how it all went down, You know how the order formatted? How do you, how do you feel about it? I know this, this is the first draft lottery situation where the odds kind of lived up to expectations for the most part until that very ending. Um, I was more so curious to see where, where the Habs would select because I did not want them to have a number, <laughs> another first uh, overall pick. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad they st stayed at their number five spot. They'll get a great player regardless. Absolutely. Um, 
But what I found so interesting is how Kevin Weeks leaked the uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets pick before the commercial. That was so. I literally looked Chicago, at my girlfriend. I yeah. was like, <laughs> "Does just happen?" It's so funny to me. Yeah, that was that was surprising. I mean, obviously, you know, Chicago winning Bedard's, he's going there. I mean, it's not confirmed, but we can all basically confirm it. I, I, I. I, I don't know how I, I don't like the fact that Chicago had that pick to begin with. Yeah. With the whole um, situation that happened with them, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like, teams have gotten lost picks for, like, when you're, like, um, like you know, altering with, like, draft prospects and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And for the Hawks to still have that pick after something like that, that big of a cover-up, I... I think I wasn't alone on the hockey Twitter community. They're not liking that one. Sure. Yeah. That being said, my thoughts on Montreal picking at five. I'm more. I'm ecstatic with it, um, as long as they don't screw it up. Yeah. I think literally what Montreal needs to do is they just need to see how one, two, three, and four go. And you know, obviously Bedard one, Fantilli two. Whoever goes three and four, you literally pick who's next. Yeah. Whether it's Mitchkov, whether it's Smith, whether it's Carlson, all three of those guys are going to be fantastic in a Montreal jersey. Literally, this is the easiest pick to make. Don't mess this up. If you're Kent Hughes and watching this somehow, please don't mess this up. So basically, Red Hill does not want a curveball like they threw at everybody at the Hockey World in last year's See, draft. See, but at least <laughs> that was like there were there was talk of it. That's you true. know what I mean. There, there was. hasn't been talk of Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkov, Smith, Carlson. That's literally been the top five for I'd say ninety percent of the season. Right. Don't screw this up, guys. And hey, listen, Safir, we're going to segue into this a little bit, of course, but the NHL World Championship is going to be in Nashville the day before the draft. So who knows? Maybe we'll be watching uh, Mitchkov put on a Habs jersey. I, I yeah. think that'd be nice. And if I go to the draft, I'll definitely be wearing my Leafs jersey again. But thankfully, no Habs fans do boo me around <laughs> really hard this time. <laughs> that was uh, a great time. But uh, let's that dive was. a little bit into uh, the esports side of things. So obviously, we just had the NHL 23 European Championship go on. For those of you that did not know, um, Eki won that. Um, he ended up beating Teppanen. I believe it was uh, straight. Um, was it was it straight games or was it was it two zero or was it? I can't remember. Uh, him and Teppanen in the finals went to game three overtime. It was game three overtime. Okay, I knew yeah, it was. Yeah. I couldn't remember exactly what what it was. Yeah, Testament to both those players, but I think Safir, the first place we got to start off with is. Nikki Dangles finishing in fourth out of the four for round robin. That was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. And you know what? While I was watching the, the games, I didn't really think much of it. And then I went back after. And if you just look at Nikki's body language, he seemed really nervous yeah. that entire time. And it's really unfortunate because here's a guy who actually has a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. But everybody knows that, unfortunately, he hasn't been able to live up or play up to his potential at these LAN events and unfortunately he couldn't get it done once again. I, I really thought this was going to be his year, man. Yeah, it was really close too and for those of you who don't know, I believe it was after the second um, of the three round or the second of the four round robins or three actually it would be, everyone had one win. That's right. So it was very close and it was very like whoever wins the third games is going to go and Eki obviously finishing first but then Tempin and just barely getting in with that overtime loss that he had in game three, I believe it was, or game two. Yeah. But I think that was kind of Nikki Dangles' like opportunity there because even after game two, you know, you play your first game, you play your second game, the nerves are still there, but you kind of played two already, but yeah. you still have a shot. And then obviously, you know, wasn't able to get it done, which is a little bit disappointing. But then that semifinal, Sophia, that semifinal was fun. Dude, yeah. Well, one other thing I was going to say about uh, Nikki Dangles is that, 
you know, the, the way that the format is structured for this tournament, it gives you multiple opportunities to, yeah. to make it to the semifinals, right? And so um, you have a guy like Eki who actually loses his first game to Tempanit, right? Mm -hmm. And you can tell Eki was really frustrated from that, but at the same time, he knew that it wasn't over, mm -hmm. and he was able to maintain his confidence and carry it over to uh, all the way to a European, uh, I believe his fifth European title now. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the semifinals, dude, that, that was incredible. Mm -hmm. Hanzolino versus um, Tempanen going to overtime. And Hanzolino winning in overtime is the only reason Eki ended up uh, winning that, the title. Exactly. And then obviously going into the semifinals, I mean, Hanzolino and Tempanen were both, you know, very well. The first game was close. Second game was a yeah. little bit more of a blowout. I think Tempanen moving on, though, was the result we kind of expected to appear across the board. No disrespect to Hanzolino, of course, but... Tempanen's kind of, you know, he's been there before. Uh, yeah, the surprising thing with, with Tempanen is that he, while he has been competing in lots of different tournaments, um, I, I don't remember, at least in the last couple of years, him being at the European Finals. And mm. so for him to do it is really remarkable. I also didn't know that, I think he's 22 years old. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really nice to see, in terms of age in this community, 22 is still like on the, on the older end. <laughs> for competitive players. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really nice to see somebody who wasn't like dominant in his like late teen years be this dominant at this age. It's kind of like, you know, never never lose hope as you start to lose your thumbs when you get exactly. older. I love that comment because I literally feel like a like 50 to 55 year old. <laughs> and I know No Sleeves feels like the grandpa of the <laughs> NHL community right now. Um, yeah, for us older folks, it, it's nice to see someone in their 20s kind of competing and doing pretty well yeah. there. Um, obviously both Eki and Tempanen are gonna be in Nashville June 20th seventh for the NHL World Championship. Um, they'll be the two coming in from the EU side, which will be a little bit interesting, I think, because being in Nashville, Eki's obviously had yeah. a little bit of land experience when he's come over to North America, yeah. um, especially with the Isle stuff that we had going on. But how is that going to factor in with these two kind of coming over and yeah. quote unquote playing in enemy territory because it's not EU side? That is such a great question and an important topic to talk about because like I'm, I'm also thinking back to the uh, the previous Chell Intel report that you had brought up last podcast. I know they released a new one recently, but mm -hmm. when talking about Tempanay, they talk about how reserved he is as a player. And yeah. uh, while he has nerves, you know, he tries to play reserved, he tries to stay focused, and he definitely showed, showed, showed that um, at the Euro mm -hmm. Championship. And I honestly expect more of the same. Yep. for him you know considering he he did so well against Eki um, I give the the favorite odds to Eki as well at the Worlds I mean he Eki is the first time uh, world champion back in 2018 mm -hmm. uh, on, on another year he was really close I think he, he lost to John Wayne so you factor in a lot of the experiences from Eki's side and for Tempanen to show that he can hang in there with Eki exactly makes me think that he'll be just fine yeah it's gonna be really interesting I think Eki obviously he's won five out of the last six European championships He's literally been there, he's done that, yeah. he knows that. And now he has that experience, and I think what's gonna be really interesting is we'll get into it a little bit later, but there's not that much experience on the NA side, and we'll touch upon it in a little bit, but I think that's really gonna give Eki an advantage when he comes over to Nashville. Yeah. But Tempanen too, I mean, even like, Tempanen, like I wouldn't be surprised to see an Eki Tempanen final in Nashville. What do you think, Sophie? I wouldn't be surprised either, because honestly, if you look at the NA players, um, there's some inexperience there. There are some players like Joe's who we know is so good at the game, but hasn't been necessarily consistent at Atlanta events, right? So yeah. I, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised either um, to see Tempanen versus Eki at the Atlanta finals event. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's gonna, it's, it's also gonna come down to like, you know, some balances and like a lot of game factors as well, but it's, it's gonna be a really close show. Um, and so honestly, one other thing that I think about Eki is just the fact that 
he has been in these events where he's had heartbreaking losses, right? Like when I'm thinking back to the second world championship in Las Vegas, when he, he lost to John Wayne in, in like the dying seconds of the third yeah. period, he gave up the lead. Um, and then he had a kind of a heartbreaking loss to Regs back in December. Like this, this is a scarred but very accomplished player. And so this is why I feel like the pressure and all of that that's going to be there for Eki is not going to face him that much. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he's he's been through that adversity, he you has. could say, basically. Yeah, yeah. So he's kind of going to be able to pull out of that. Now, I'm going to ask this when it comes to at least on the EU side, you know, for next year going forward. Can anyone beat Eki? I mean, he's won five of six. He's won three in a row now from 2021 to 2023. Like, I, like he, is he the Tampa Bay Lightning now? Is he, is he that <laughs> dynasty? Like, what do you think, Safir? Because, I, listen, I... They're close games, but he just keeps pulling them out. Yeah, it's so, it, you know, for for anybody watching the competitive scene in the EU, they would say that the logical answer to that is somebody like Nicky Dangles. But he's had a few opportunities, and Eki has still maintained his position. Exactly. But then you also look at other places like Sisu. Like, so the Finnish Championship um, tournament just ended yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to Tempani, by the way. He's the Finnish champ. Um, really impressive. Sisu yeah. came in third place. He's a 16-year-old kid. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. And what was I, I doing when I was 16? I don't even remember. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want to remember. Wasn't doing that. Yeah, so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if a kid like Sisu grows up to be the guy that takes Eki head on. And Eki himself, you know, he talks about, like, how the game continues to get more and more competitive mm -hmm. every single year, right? Um, and so the other thing, too, maybe something you can allude to is, is the fact that we have new people coming in every year. It's not just guys like Sisu. Exactly. I think that is the perfect segue. Thanks. This man is great with segues, by the <laughs> way. Perfect segue into previewing the NHL 2023 North American Championship that we're going to have going on. I believe it's going to be uh, a week from tomorrow. It's going to be May 20th, um, 1 p.m. Eastern mm -hmm. on Twitch and everything. Go watch it, guys. Um, and tell us a little bit about where it's actually going to be because this is kind of a new thing that we have going on, at least with the Washington Capitals and yeah. someone who we're going to talk about, District E. Um, I think this is awesome. Oh, dude, District E is an incredible venue. It's adjacent to the Capitals One Arena. As we know, it's home to the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards. It's 14,000 square foot, so it's it's a large space. I love that you have a dedicated eSports space yeah, for things absolutely. like this, right? Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Cam uh, signed on with them. I he think did. he's there like once a month, right? Yep. So that really goes to show like how... Uh, how much this thing is growing with NHL esports in collaboration with like NHL organizations and having esports specific venues. I don't think we've had that for NHL esports GWC or World Championships. Yet. No, and I know obviously here in Toronto we have the uh, for like the Raptors they have right. the Bell Arena and stuff like that. But to have a dedicated like NHL esports one a little bit is kind of cool. And I think the really exciting thing about this is like it's it's not just an esports arena. That's right. They have fans for Wizards game and Capital games in there. I'm pretty sure I saw a District E video and a vet was in it yeah and like we've talked about it with other people on the podcast before it's hard to get like NHL players to work with this whole side of things Ovechkin's literally talking like that's so cool Safir. it's so cool and you, you know what if, if unfortunately I won't be in Washington for this but if I was there I'm, I'm I read a, an article talking about the the culinary experience yeah. at district E2 that would that would be something that like not quite related to esports, but just like an entertainment value, I would I would definitely want to experience. I'm a big foodie, so <laughs> yeah. you know what? Maybe maybe next year we'll have to hit up District E for uh, for a major event. But uh, let's dive into so. the the final four we have going on, Sophia. So I think the first thing that everyone notices when you look at the four that are here, which by the way, if you don't know, there's Jose, Cad, Duncan, and Sky. 
only Jost was at GWC last year, and Jost was didn't even play at the main event. He right. was eliminated during the final eight, during the semifinal. Well, the semifinals. I guess it's the quarter, the semifinals yeah. of the quarter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so we have someone here who finished four through or five through eight, who's the only player there with experience. What does this mean for the NA side? Should we be concerned over here? You know what? I the thing that I'm definitely concerned about is the is the lack lack of predictability this year, which can also be a good thing, obviously. Yeah. Like, you do want new winners and all that, but I'm definitely concerned for the North American side going up against Europe next month mm -hmm. in Nashville. But Joe's is such an interesting story because he got dominated by Regs last yeah. year. And then he comes back and takes him, he sweeps Regs, and he comes back from, like, a, I think game two is like a four-goal deficit. I mean, this guy is on a mission, and I know I've motivated him too with, through our power rankings, and uh, you know, he's had some shortcomings, you know, losing at the Bolts Child Challenge Land Tournament to, mm -hmm. uh, I think Polks was, was the eventual winner for that. So this guy is on a mission. Um, and then the other players, I mean, you have Cad, who's won 1v1 titles as well, but he's mainly a Sixes guy. His yeah. last 1v1 title, I think, was the Bolts Child Challenge as well a few years ago, the first mm -hmm. ever, actually. And then you have Sky, who's completely inexperienced at these kind of events, and Duncan, as good as he is, also inexperienced. Yeah, it's it, uh, you know what's really interesting? It's almost reminding me of the playoffs this year. Oh, yeah. You have, like, a couple <laughs> good, like, experienced teams. You have, like, Edmonton there. You have Dallas there. But then you have these teams who are just, like, budding for the first time, like Seattle. You have, obviously, like, you can even throw Florida into that yeah. mix a little bit, too. So it's going to be really interesting, I think, because... It's either going to go one of two ways, and I think both are going to be great storylines for NA. It's either going to be Joe's kind of you know redeeming himself and you know pushing himself up there and making it to Nashville, or it's going to be there will be someone else new with him. But there's going to be yeah. new people that are going to be you know winning this, and that's going to be a new storyline, and that's going to be you know they're going to be the buzzword, they're going to be the thing everyone talking talks about. That's right. Um, when it comes to each of these individual players, we don't want to leak too much for the EU guys. No offense, Eki and <laughs> Tempinen. Um, but when these players play, what are their tendencies yeah. like? What are the things they kind of like to do, um, look for in the play and that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's such a great question too. You know, when we generalize the play styles of EU players in NA, we know, we know that EU players, they're very passive, mm -hmm. um, trap-heavy players, while NA players are more so aggressive and uh, run-and-gun kind of players. Um, but then you look at a guy like... Duncan, and I, I would like to touch up on each of their players, uh, play styles a little bit. Mm -hmm. Duncan is really interesting. I think a key reason why he has been this successful is his patience. Yep. Um, what he does in the offensive zone, especially if he has the lead, if he doesn't see any openings at the blue line, he will reset. Like He will leave the offensive zone, come yeah. back to center ice, and I know that aggravates players. I mean, if that was me, that would aggravate me too. <laughs> Um, but it's so smart, and that's how he gets like a stranglehold of players. That's how he was able to beat Regs and make it to the LAN event. Mm -hmm. um, that's how he was able to beat Sasho. And like, how would you feel if you were on the receiving end of that? It, yeah, I'd be frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> but it reminds me very much of um, like European football or soccer. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of that possession thing. And like, I know it's it, like time on attack is a stat in NHL, but it's kind of that like, if I have the puck, I control what's going on. Similar to like That's in right. soccer, if I'm controlling the ball, I'm controlling what's going on. If they're going to go the other way, it's a result of an action I'm going to make. So I think Duncan has that kind of, um, I almost want to call it like a maestro yep. mindset where he's like, he's like, almost like big braining it, That's right. so to speak. <laughs> um, it would be frustrating to go against, because like yeah. even when I'm playing, like when I played LG for a bit, like in the playoffs, like even just you have five guys wide always. Like especially yeah. in the playoffs when it comes to competitive, you'll notice if you're watching sixes, everyone's on the blue line playing defense. Everyone is back. But then like if there's nothing there, the smart teams just reset. That's right. Exit the zone, 
D to D, find their center again and just work it through. And I think Duncan does that fantastically. Dude, he absolutely does. And you know what? Our good friend Sapalian kind of plays like that too. Like last year, you know, a key reason why he made it to Montreal was his patience. You know, yeah. he did it against Polks too. And when they, they had played for, for the Xbox, uh, Xbox title, Pogues barely beats him in game three of the second series, game three. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a very smart play style. And, you know, Duncan, that's his key sh strength, right? Like, I've played Duncan a few times this yeah. year. Um, he's had my number, and that is his patience, uh, his ability to control the puck uh, and not rush things is mm -hmm. definitely a key reason that he has been so successful this year. This is why I'm so glad Safir is on the podcast, because he <laughs> can play all these guys, and I just sit here and listen. Appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, man, and then you've got... Now, I, I know I mentioned this last episode. I'm, I, would, I can't wait to see Sky versus Duncan. These are two guys that are not big fans of each other. And <laughs> their play styles, I, you know, when you go up against Duncan, you kind of have to use his own strategy against him, too, when you're really thinking about it. And Sky is actually a player that plays kind of slow, too. And he will kill a lot, a lot of clock behind your own net. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how Sky does it. He'll, like, wait for the Polk's goal. Um, or he'll, like hold, protect puck, and then go for like a backhand wraparound. That's kind of Sky's yeah. play style. So I'm really interested to see how that play style goes. How, how would you suspect that would go? I, I think those two play styles going against each other is really going to be interesting. You yeah. obviously have the, you know, patience. I'm not afraid to leave the zone and come back in Duncan. Yeah. But then you have like the count, like a similar counter, I guess an alternative to that where, you know, you have Sky kind of being like, I will just sit here and wait for something That's to right. happen. Yeah. I will hold on to the puck and do what I have to do to make something happen. And I think it's going to be interesting because that battle to me, the second you've mentioned those two, it comes down to defense. Yes. That's all it comes down to. It Absolutely. comes down to who can be better, whether it's Sky being able to take advantage of Duncan coming out of the zone and capitalizing, maybe getting a turnover and stuff like that, or whether it's Duncan being able to limit Sky behind the net and that kind of stuff. It really is like, it's almost like they're both strong offensively, and it's like whoever can be above average defensively or right. slightly better than the other defensively, I think is going to pull it off. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's going to be the difference make maker between those two. I totally agree. And, like, obviously that all relates to, like, patience because mm. they're both patient. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens at a LAN event when one of them is down. Like, does panic set in knowing how the other person plays, right? It's all like it's, it's a mental game. Half of it is, is a mental game. Mm -hmm. um, but then we've got Joe's. Joe's is like a complete like flip from Duncan and Sky. That guy is a run and gun kind of player. Yeah. His counter offense and rush play is probably the best that I've seen this year. He mm -hmm. is absolutely dangerous. And when I watched him play Junior Pens, um, Joe's well Pens because Joe's is also good with going behind the net and scoring the pulls. Mm -hmm. um, so what Joe's would do is he's really good at adapting. And he burned Pens in the middle of the ice at the high slot because Pens kept thinking, knowing Joseph's pass and with this competitive game, Joseph would go behind the net. And Joseph, so adaptable, he knows how to respond yeah. and tackle your weakness. And that's what he did to Junior Pens. And I'm curious to see how he, then he would respond to these slow play styles. Yeah, I think that is, Joseph has a very, very strong opportunity there, I think, Safir. Yeah. I almost look at, I, I don't know why I'm comparing everything to European football, but like, it, it I see it that and sense, it's so yeah. tactical. It like. Is. Jost reminds me of those teams where you're watching a game and someone's dominating possession, they're getting chances, chances, yeah. chances, and then Jost gets the puck and bang, exactly. he's gone and it's in the net. And I think that adaptability is going to be huge for him too because if Duncan or Sky change a little bit, he's able to adapt to that and kind of adjust and find the right way to do things, kind of similar to how we did with Junior Pens. But I think that whole counterattack run and gun kind of gameplay he really has is really going to be effective against a patient um, yeah. 
kind of plays out on the other side. Now that being said, he's obviously going up against Cad first. So tell us a little bit about how Cad plays because for Joe to get to Duncan or Sky, yeah. he's got to go through Cad. You know, I, I have so much respect for Cad with with his. Uh, accomplishments over the year. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said earlier, this is a, a Sixes player now who was considered a top three 1v1 player for the longest time until he made the transition. Yeah. So for him to be back at the stage is, is really remarkable and a testament to his uh, natural ability in the game. Mm -hmm. um, Cad, he's not so much as a patient player as like Duncan and Sky, but he is naturally very good defensively. Like he's yeah. gonna get his pokes timed really well. He is able to clog the blue line really well. And um, and one thing that you definitely don't wanna do against Cad, because I've been burned by this so many times, is go with your DDD passing. Because for some reason, this guy just, he just gets up at the right moment with his forward, intercepts the puck, and the amount of times that have been scored like that, it's unbelievable. So his ability to read plays is one of the best. And relating to the whole idea of him being able to read plays in the offensive zone, he is so good. He doesn't necessarily try to kill the clock or anything. He doesn't really go behind the net as much. Yeah. But one thing that he is able, th that he's really good at is able to uh, LT or do the half spins uh, really well. And he's able to time them so well. So when you go for a bump, nothing happens because yeah. he times it so perfectly and and that is frustrating to mm -hmm. play against and that is going to be really interesting because you almost have like this is almost like that Super Bowl matchup where it's like you have like the Kansas City Chiefs against like you know the top rated defense yeah. um, like you know the Broncos back in their prime when they actually had a good defense um, and it's kind of that like again it's similar to the, the other matchup and I think this is what's really exciting about this NA side is it's not regs Gren the two guys who always win it, we know who's gonna win it, is there's four players who all have a good shot of winning, but there's really good individual matchups and individual yeah. like behind the scenes. Like with Cad, I think if he's able to really kind of master that Joe's counterattack, yeah. and he's able to turn that into a counterattack of his own, I think that's gonna be kind of the big tell of that series. Uh, but like Joe's, this is where it gets into it too, is if, he gets, if he starts getting frustrated, if he starts getting a little nervous, that's where I think Joe's has a slight edge over everyone else because he was at GWC last year. Yeah. Now, it wasn't in front of fans because they played, uh, the final eight played the day before fans that's were there. Right. So that is part of it too, but he did have a little bit of that pressure, a bit of that land experience to a degree, which is more than the other three had. So I think based off of that, it's it's kind of going to be a really close series. Yeah, you know what, two thoughts come to mind, and the second one was more so as a question, but um, no, you're right, that experience will come in as a factor, and like, so overall, when we think about these four players, we can categorize Joseph and Cad as more um, offensive-based, yep. because you're right, Cad, he is able, both Cad and Joseph, really, you give them one chance, it's in the back of your net, right? Mm -hmm. uh, despite the fact that I mentioned Cad is so good defensively, I mean, when you combine the two, you're just really good yeah. at the game, that's why Cad's here. Um, but he is more known for his offense for sure, his ability to protect the puck, and Joe's likewise very good offensively. So I'm curious to see what's going to come out on top, offense and defense, you know? So it's going to be a really interesting thing. Mm -hmm. And then you briefly touched up on last year's uh, GWC in Montreal. Um, perhaps for our viewers who don't know, give them a little bit of an overview in terms of like the experiences that the, that the players go to, the lead up to the, to the big day, really. You mentioned yeah. last year it was like a couple days. Yeah, so basically the day before they played in a, um, the final eight played, I think it was one, eight, two, seven, kind of right. like that structure format. And they played, I believe it was a best of three or a best of five series. Um, and that was a closed venue. No one could really go in. It was just the players and a couple other people. And then the four that won from that 
were able to actually compete the next day on stage in front of everyone on Twitch at the yeah. venue that most people probably watched. And I think when you kind of talk about that and it gets really interesting is it's not just showing up and playing at one, but that's not going to be there anymore. Because right. now it's just two from EU, two from NA. So when June 27th hits, I don't know if there's going to be anything before. That's right. Because there's not going to be eight people there. There's going to be four people. Yeah. So you're taking away that element of like playing a little bit more, That's getting right. your, you know, getting the thumbs kind of ready, which I think is going to be something that maybe it's a good thing no one from last year like <laughs> who played in the finals was here this year because that would be a curveball no you know that that is so true it's like last year they ease up to the big day because like you mentioned you played off uh, stream the day yeah. uh, before um and this time it's not going to be like that like you're you're there on the big day you're live on stream and you get right to it yeah. right so you don't want to be in a situation where the nerves kind of take over or you want to play your best mm. um but when i think about last year i think just beyond the, outside of the whole competitive aspect, was just like the awesome community building that we saw. Yep. You know, like I've been to Montreal only twice in my life and I love Montreal, it's, it's, it's a fantastic city and just being there in the downtown core, like sometimes I think to myself, if I wasn't living in Toronto, I would be living in Montreal. But the one thing that I loved was just like, everywhere you went downtown, you, you probably ran into somebody that you knew because the NHL draft was taking place. Mm -hmm. So the, the community building aspect of the whole thing about this tournament is, is probably my most favorite part. Yep, I will never forget to this day, the day of the draft, I believe it was, I was walking uh, to meet with Zafir and I saw some Ottawa, people with Ottawa polos going by. And all I hear, I forget what pick it was, but I hear, Oh yeah, I, you know, like it's likely we move this pick for one of these guys. Yeah. And I posted it <laughs> in a Discord, and that day the Sens traded that pick for it's Alex Debrinket. That was the coolest thing ever. I felt like Elliot Friedman is an actual <laughs> insider. But I think it's going to be really interesting in Nashville because Nashville has less of that hockey. That's right. Um, Canadian kind of like you know like if if you're wearing a GWC or a WC, I guess we can call it now jersey down in Nashville. Most people probably aren't going to know what it is. Yeah. But that being said, I think Nashville is just a way more fun city. Yeah. Um, when I went, I, I went previously, and it was absolutely electric. If you are there the night before, be careful. Um, <laughs> it is very dangerous. It is very fun and very loud. Um, but that being said, like because the draft's going to be around, that you have this whole kind of hockey knit community tying into everything and I think that's gonna be fun but aside from just the hockey community we can even talk about the chell community because yeah. when you and I were there last year we had people coming up to us like oh hey like nice to meet you I'm yeah. so and so like oh and they were like hey I they were talking about oh I'm their gamer tag like I'm so and so oh yeah you're 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 angry brown dude or whatever <laughs> and I'm like yeah like it's not first name basis it's gamer tag basis which is like it's funny. kind of cool, but kind of like it's, I'm still getting used to it a little bit. Yeah, I was like, yo, what's up, Boily? <laughs> yeah, what's up, Boily? You're like, oh my god. I saw, so I saw, I saw Cam. I was like, yo, no sleeves. What's up, man? Like, it's so funny. Can you imagine being on the streets and saying, yo, what's up, no sleeves? Well, People are riding going. Funny like, story. No I think Cam will let me tell this. He told me the story of how he was walking in Montreal and he walked by this couple, and yeah. the dude turns around, and goes, you're no sleeves, <laughs> and he's like. Oh, hey, and the dude's like, dude, you saved my heart team with your YouTube videos. Thanks so much. And his wife's like, who the hell is <laughs> that? What? But that kind of like community vibe is going to be awesome. I hope I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure I get down to Nashville. Uh, it's a great city and just tying in the draft around it. The Nashville Predators too. 
awesome organization. Of course, I mean, you're a big fan, yeah. I'm going to give them a bit of a plug here. We're, we're running out of time. I'm going to give them a bit of a plug. Um, last year when I went to Nashville, the day I was supposed to go was for work. They weren't um, playing, but they were playing the night before. So I tweeted out to like my followers. I was like, do you guys think it'd be worth me paying you know, this much and changing my flight this much and getting an extra night at the hotel and getting Preds tickets? Well, the Preds replied to me and said, hey, just send us a screenshot. You're actually coming and we'll give you tickets. And I, I will I will post the t I will post the picture on Twitter now for anyone who wants to look angry, an angry brown guy on Twitter. I was literally like 15 rows from the ice. Wow! wow. And, and and their Preds game crew came over and gave me and my boss like swag packs and everything. That's amazing. Awesome organization. They're fun on Twitter. Um, I couldn't think of a better place for the draft to be and the NHL World Championship to be. So I'm excited for it. Sophia, who's winning? <laughs> I love. <laughs> I love how, how you just hype up the Nashville Predators and then just lay on the, the toughest question. That's what I do. Um, yeah, I'll go with, I'll go with, I mean, I'll be rooting for North America. It just makes so sense, obviously. We're going Eki. We're going Eki, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Eki's just had the experience. I think he's going to prove it and win it. That being said, I would love to see someone new win this year. So um, yeah, you yeah. know what? Yeah, you know what? Take this as motivation, you NA players, and uh, even the U, even even Tempin. That's even true. Tempenin. Even Tempin, yeah, because yeah, I, I predicted Tempin would would actually uh, finish fourth. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, good good for that guy. So good for shutting Sevier up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like how Tempin did it at the European Championship, I want to see somebody from NA prove us wrong. Absolutely, I think it'd be awesome. And on that note, guys, thank you so much for watching and listening, and we will see you guys next time. Have a good day.